Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you for our time together. So beautiful that you open your hearts to us every morning as we open our hearts to you, and we just gather around the Word of God and spend some time in worship and spend some time reading the Word together. I know this has been productive for me. I pray this is being productive for you as you go line by line and read every word in the Bible, not just the parts that you like. Now, brothers and sisters, it's amazing to me how many people today will say, don't read the Old Testament, don't do this, don't do that. But, you know, we keep showing you how important the Old Testament is for us, that we need to read it, that these things were written as examples for us. These things were written to to illustrate things for us in life and to help us make better decisions. And, you know, when Paul says, pay attention to the public reading of Scripture to young Timothy, he was talking about the Old Testament because most of the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So thank you for this time in the Word together. Right now, let's turn to Psalms chapter 91. Psalms 91, and we'll read it together. I like my little, this is my little Psalms book, all right? This is this is just the book of Psalms. I leave it, well, until all of this started, I left it next to my bed every night and read it before I went to sleep, but now I read it in the mornings sitting here with you. Psalms 91, beginning with verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, our confession of faith. This is what we say to God. God, this is who you are. We don't get like Job as we've been reading where he said some critical critical things of God. We say, God, you're my refuge. You're my fortress. You're my God. In you I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He's the solution. He's not the problem. Don't ever blame God for the trouble. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Yesterday, I sat down with pastors across the country, all out through the provinces, and we had a a big Zoom call called Shepherd's Fellowship. And I talked with them that in spite of the COVID-19, as pastors, the command of God to feed his people, to care for the flock that the Holy Spirit has made us overseers of, and to know the condition of the flock. Those three things are still a requirement upon our lives in the middle of this. This is why we work so hard to call you and text you. And even when you're in the hospital, we're, we're Skyping you and we're FaceTiming you and we're Zooming you in the hospital or we're, we're video vibering you or we're video WhatsApping you. Because this is our responsibility. We're to be there for you. And this thing has cut us off from physical contact. So we're using contactless uh, 
technology to make sure that we know the condition of the flock. We, we don't want to just send you a video once a week and say, please send us your money. You know what's better than that. We want to be there in your life. We want to be shepherds of the sheep. We, we want to be out in the fields with the sheep. Shepherds smell like sheep. So thank you for being a part of this, and thank you for always, always allowing us to call you on the phone and talk with you and see how you're doing. And it, it, one, one person was in the hospital and said, Pastor, you sure talk to me a lot when I'm here in the hospital. I said, because you can't talk to anybody else. And I said, so I'll be here for you. There's something beautiful about, as a pastor, being in people's lives in a time of need like this. We're walking the journey together. So if we look like we're working hard, well, maybe we are. But what we're doing is showing love. You see, the Bible says that love produces hard work. One of the things I taught the pastors was, you know, what, what motivates your work? Do you just do what you see needs to be done? Or does love motivate you to do a lot more than needs to be done? Ah. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
As we go to prayer this morning, I want us to I want us to pray for all the churches across the country. You know, churches are struggling right now. Now, you know, there are some that are just into money raising. Maybe they got plenty of money, but I'm talking about the real churches out there. I'm talking about pastors that are on Facebook every single morning. There's one young man, he comes up every single morning, and I just I just look at him and I go, you know what? When this is over, I want to meet this young man because he is seven days a week faithful with his people. And I, I just look at the guy and I go, there's a good pastor. But I want us to pray for all the pastors of churches across the nation because a lot of them are suffering right now. There's almost no income coming into their churches, but God will make a way where there is no way. Father, we bring to you all the churches. We pray for people all the time, Lord. But sometimes we forget the pastors and the churches, the corporate bodies, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name for the mercy of God to flow to them. Father, that you'd rise up faithfulness within the hearts of all of their members. And Father, that you bless all the work of their members' hands. And that faithfulness, Lord, would see the church just moving forward and flowing. The good leaders within every church, Father, would help to care for all the members that your protection would be upon every pastor as he works hard to, to try to care for the people and make sure the needs of the people are taken care of. Let this be a time of growth, Father, not a time of falling away. Father, your word says that in the last days there's going to come a season when the love of most will grow cold. Never understood that before, Lord. But now we see how people's hearts can be pulled away People's hearts can be pulled away from God and the things of God and worship and prayer. And 
a lifetime of spiritual habits and discipline can be lost in a, a season like this. Lord, in your grace and in your mercy, we pray for the Christians all across our land. Let this not be a time where the love of people grow cold because their hearts are caught up in telenovelas and Korean K-pops and silliness. Let this be a time, Father, of fervent prayer. Let this be a time, Father, when spiritual disciplines are put in place. Let this be a time, Father, when we learn that we come to church to be with you and not just to be with our friends and to sell a vida and longaniza. Let this be a time, Father, when real spiritual disciplines are developed, when everything that has been shaken can be shaken and removed, that that which cannot be shaken remains. Father, let those things that cannot be reshaken remain strong in the lives of your sons and your daughters in all the churches all across our beloved land. Father, I ask that you strengthen the hardworking pastors out there. Father, let them be strengthened. Let not one single church close of a hardworking pastor that loves the people. Let not one church be closed of a hardworking pastor that preaches the gospel. Let not one church close, Father, because of this COVID-19. But Father, in your mercy and in your grace, shake out that which doesn't belong and leave that which belongs strong standing tall and strong. Let this be a time of distinction, Father. And Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask for your mercy. I ask for your mercy upon all of the churches across our land. None of us do everything right, Lord. When we get to heaven and we see all the stuff we've done wrong, thank God that you'll wipe away all the tears because it would be so embarrassing. But Father, in your mercy, strengthen that which remains. Revive your work in the midst of the day. Out of a little root, Lord, cause a great new olive tree to grow. Out of a little root of a remnant, Lord, cause a huge revival to sweep across our nation. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to open your Bibles now, and I'm sorry I've had a little bit of trouble with the computer later, lately between the huge Microsoft feature update and the update on my XSplit and the act, oh my goodness, I've had fun. Now the computer at the office works great. But for some reason, this poor computer here, now yeah, it's the oldest one. It's, this one's about four years old now. Uh, but it, bless its heart, this one's struggling a little bit. It's showing its signs of age. So I'll be very happy when the, the new uh, Microsoft Studio 3 comes up because this one is just about ready to get a complete wipe and a reset because there's no time to do all of that now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today, beginning with verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning with verse 23. Paul said, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Now notice the all things. He said, yeah, we live by grace. And he said, yeah, we, we can eat meat now. And yes, we can eat meat with blood in it now. Jesus declared all foods clean. And yes, we can eat shrimp. And, you know, Jesus declared all foods clean. Fine, fine, fine. But he said, but not all things are helpful. There's a lot of things that you can do. That, you know what? They really don't help anything. They really don't benefit anything in your life. Now, now brothers and sisters, one of the things that you have to learn in life is there's a lot of things that they're, it's not that they're not wrong. They're just not helpful. They don't cause anything to grow and blossom and flourish in your life. Now, if you want to be a fruitful Christian, you have to understand 
There's a lot of things in life that are okay. But you know what? You just have to learn to go, I just don't need that. Like, forgive me. If you were to ask me what would be my favorite food in the world, that would vary between lechi flan with macopuno on top and a real hot fudge sundae where the, the French vanilla ice cream is nice and hard and the hot fudge is nice and hot and there's beautiful whipped cream and shaved almonds and a marshmallow cherry on top. Now, is it lawful for me to eat that? Yeah. Should I eat that breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Um, it's not helpful. There's, no, there's not a lot of nourishment in, in a hot fudge sundae. There's not a lot of nourishment in Well, there's a lot of sugar, but there's not a lot of good nourishment in lechi flat and makopun, okay? A lot of sugar, but not a lot of good nourishment. In the same way, there's a lot of things that we do in life. Entertainment, things that we spend our time doing. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not sinful. It's just not helpful. It, it, and helpful here means to, to, to benefit, okay? He said, again, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. He said, not everything causes me to grow. Not everything causes other people to grow. He said, so, you know, there's a lot of things in life. It's not that they're sinful. They're just not helpful. They just don't cause me to grow, and they don't cause other people to grow around me. Now, when you understand, and you put this in context where Paul says, you know, we, 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 we discipline ourselves as an, as an athlete, well, athletes understand there's a lot of food that's fine, but it doesn't help, their, help them win a race. There's a lot of things that they could be doing, but it doesn't build up their muscles. Okay, So this is the context Paul is talking in. He said, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So all right, always thinking. About others. You shouldn't do things just because it's good for you. You should be doing things because it's good for others. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In other words, is there blood inside it? Is this, is this kosher? In other words, in modern terms, uh, was it sacrificed to an idol? You know, Don't start doing a, a spiritual inquisition about a piece of meat. When you go to the market, just buy the meat and go cook it and eat it and be quiet. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He said, so listen, the earth is the Lord's. All of this meat is God's. For if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, he said, if you want to go, and an unbeliever invites you to come to their house, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. Now, sometimes you ask, what is this? <laughs> because you don't know what it is. But for the most part, not on the ground of conscience. You're, you're not saying, okay, is this good for me to eat because of my conscience? Was this, was this sacrifice to Aphrodite? Was this sacrifice to Zeus? Was this sacrifice to Jupiter? You know, don't, don't play your religious conscience game in front of people. Just whatever they stick in front of you, just eat it. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of their conscience, okay? They bring it up because, see, they have a question, 
okay? They have a question about this. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience, okay? My liberty is my liberty. My liberty is not determined by somebody else's conscience. If people look at me and they say, Pastor Summerall, um, you have no right to eat balut. Why? Well, I won't eat balut in front of that person. But if I want to eat balut by myself or with some other friends, I will. It's their conscience. I don't want to hurt their conscience, but neither will I allow their conscience to control me for the rest of my life. Just because this person has a problem with it, okay, I won't do it around them, okay? So we say, not around them. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of for that which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. He said, listen, when you sit down and enjoy a meal, it should be for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. All right, so now we have the Jew, we have the Greek, and we have believers. Now, now, now these are three people that we need to be concerned about. Three groups to occupy our thoughts. The Jews, all right, I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. The Greeks, I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. And the Christians, I don't want to be a stumbling block to them. Just as I try to please everyone <laughs> in everything, wow, I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. But that of many. Notice you really never get to all. You never really get to all. But you can try. Paul said, I, I'm really trying. I'm really trying to, to, to please people. I, I don't go out of my way to offend people. See, Paul was not a guy who just walked around seeing how many people he could offend. And bless God, I'm right and everybody's wrong. And Paul said, that, that, that's not who I am. I, I'm not trying to do things for my own advantage. He said, you know, I want people to be saved. All right, now we get into chapter 11, verse 1. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, why would Paul say me? Because they don't know anybody else. He can't tell them be an imitator of Peter. They don't know Peter that well. He can't say be an imitator of Barnabas. They probably never met Barnabas. He can't say be an imitator of James. They've never met James, okay? He said, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. So, so Paul would say, I'm the example. Now, in today's world, Paul would get crucified for this. Paul thinks he's something. You can just hear Christian leaders talking about Paul today. But Paul said, listen, I'm doing my best to follow Jesus. I'm doing my best to follow the pattern that Jesus laid out for me. He said, now, you can't see Jesus, but you can see me. You can see how I treat people. You can see how I talk to people. You can see how I eat. You can see how I make the decisions I make. He said, you know, the role of leaders is to lay down patterns. And the, the primary way we lay down patterns is people watching our lives. That's why shepherds smell like sheep. Paul was involved in their lives. 
Now, this is one of the re- things I talk to young pastors about today. You, you cannot be like these modern attraction model churches where the pastors are completely detached and the pastors are never around the people and they walk in through a corridor in sanitaire and they leave through a corridor in sanitaire and nobody can talk to the pastors. And Excuse me, that, that's not how we live. How, how can people follow a pattern that they cannot see? So people should see us as pastors living our lives. And as they see us living our lives, they can imitate us as we imitate Christ. But it means as pastors, you got to get off your little ivory throne and just live your life among the people. Well, you know, I don't want to do that because I'm going to be criticized. Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, I've heard all of that all of my life. And you know what? There are some people that, you know what, when they get to know you, Familiarity does breed contempt, but that's not your problem. That's the problem of their heart. So young pastors, please listen to me. The people can only follow a pattern that they can see. This is why Paul said, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. He said, Paul said, hey, You're thinking about me and what I taught you. He said, I I commend you for that. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, we're beginning to get into another one of their questions. He said, "I'm, I'm thankful that you remember the traditions that I taught you, but he said, now... I want you to understand some things. He said, now, now let's, let's deal with your questions here. Remember, 1 Corinthians is answering questions that they pose to him. And as we go through the exposition of it in the Saturday-Sunday services, we'll be bringing out those questions. He said, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. All right, so... This is Jewish tradition. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But instead it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off or shave her head, let her, let her cover her head. I notice it's disgraceful. Now, you've got a lot of Jewish traditions in here, and I don't want to get into that today. But just let me highlight and illustrate, and we'll get into this in the exposition of this passage. If you go with us to Israel and you, we drive you through a Orthodox neighborhood, you'll see stores that sell nothing but wigs. And you think, but I'll be telling God, why do people wear so many wigs here? Well, an Orthodox woman shaves her head when she gets married. And from that day forward, an Orthodox woman wears a wig. So there are traditions here that have been going on for thousands of years that we will be dealing with as we deal with the exposition. For man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Now again, we'll get into all the expositions of this. I do not want to begin to open up that today. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born a woman, and all things are from God. All right, so he said, hey, let's, let's stop the superiority. Okay, let's stop the superiority attitude. Yes, 
Woman was made for man. But, guys, you were born of a woman. Okay, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her hair uncovered? He said, judge for yourselves. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? Now, again, we got to get into the exposition of that because when I was a young man, this verse was used on me a lot because, believe it or not, I had long hair, okay? So we got to get into the exposition of this in 1 Corinthians on Sundays. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair was given to her as a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, again, we'll get into the exposition of that, but let me just look at a practical thing. You know, there are people who are inclined to be contentious. <laughs> there are people that just love to fight and argue about everything in life. Okay, they are inclined to be contentious. Paul said, well, you know, if you're inclined to be contentious, would you just please stop that? He said, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, again, we'll get into the exposition of all this, and it it really does make sense as you lay it all out in light of what Paul was dealing with between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church at that day. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship, and let's not be contentious. Just clap your hands. A little louder, just clap your hands. Oh, oh, oh. 
Testament passage today picks up in Job chapter 35. Now, I have to admit, I'm a little ripped off, okay? Because Pastor A gets to deal with the fun part tomorrow on uh, God speaking to Job, and then on Sunday, you need to finish the book of Job and see all the beautiful things that happen in the end of the book of Job. So Pastor A will work with you tomorrow uh, as God begins to speak, and then you need to finish out God and Job's conversation. For instance, on Sunday, you're going to see why I say, put your hand over your mouth. Job says, I put my hand over my mouth. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> sometimes sometimes that's what we need to do, and you'll, you'll see where I get that statement from down near the end of the book of Job. But now let's pick up in chapter 35, verse 1. Elihu is, <laughs> Elihu is full of words. And Elihu answered Job and said, Do you think this is to be just? Do you say it is my right before God? That you ask, what advantage have I? How am I better off than I had if I had sinned? I will answer you, you and your friends with you. He said, now listen, Job, you haven't had an answer for this. And these three older guys that are your friends, they haven't answered you properly either. Look at the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness a son of man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the Almighty. But none says, where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heaven? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Listen to the condemnation. Listen to him just, wow. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Lord regard it. Oh, listen to this, Job, you have an empty cry. I mean, I, you know, with guys like this around, you know, you really don't need a devil. How much less, how much less 
when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you are waiting for him? How much less? All right. Now he said, Job, God is not listening. But this is not true. Because as you're going to see tomorrow and on Sunday in your own devotions, God was listening to everything that was said. How much less when you say you do not see and that the case is before him and you are waiting for him. And now because his anger does not punish and he does not take much note of transgression, Job opens his mouth at empty talk. He multiplies his words without knowledge. Wow. Look at the attack. You know, like I keep telling you, when people come and talk to you like this, when you're really hurting, don't go attack people. Don't go fight with people. I'm just never around people like that again. When people kick you when you're down, unless they come on their own and try to apologize, Elihu continued and said, bear with me a little while and I will show you, for I have yet something to say on God's behalf. Not true. This is You're not speaking for God. I will get my knowledge from afar and ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Wow. <laughs> not true. One who is perfect perfect in knowledge is with you. Whoa, what arrogance. Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. He is mighty in strength and understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their right. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on a throne, he sets them there forever and they are exalted. And if they are bound in chains and caught in the cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions, that they have behaved arrogantly. He opens their ears to instructions and commands them to return from their iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. You know, this is true, but Job had not sinned. You know, he's saying beautiful things here about God is true, but Job hadn't sinned. The godless in heart cherish anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. Really? So this he delivers by affliction? And he opens their ear by adversity? Really? Uh, no. He has alert. See, folks, you have to understand, religion always tells you that suffering, suffering teaches you. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The anointing is our teacher. He has also allured you out of distress into a broad place where there is no cramping and what was set on your table was full of fatness. But you are full of judgment on the wicked. Judgment and justice seize you. Beware lest wrath enticed you into scoffing and let not the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. 
Will you cry? Will your, your cry for help avail to keep you from distress or all the force of your strength? Do not long for the night when people vanish in their place. Take care. Do not turn to iniquity. For this you have chosen rather than affliction. Turn to iniquity? This is what you've chosen? Really? No. Behold, God is exalted in power. Who is a teacher like him? Okay, correct. Notice how this condemnation mixes beautiful truth about God with condemnation. <laughs> he said, wait a minute, this suffering and affliction teaches you. And now he says, God teaches you. The guy's, the guy's even confused himself. Who has prescribed for him his way or who can say you have done wrong? Remember to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind hath looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. And behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the drops of water, and they distill like his mist in the rain, which skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these he judges people. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence, and the cattle also declare that he rises. Chapter 37, verse 1. At this also, now Elihu is still talking, this fourth comforter, a young man. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go, and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it, his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice and does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow he says, fall on the earth, likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men may know, that all men may know it. Then the beasts go to their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chambers come the whirlwind and the cold from the scattering winds. For by the breath of God, ice is given and broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture and the clouds scatter his lightning. They turn round and round by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Of the habitable world. Okay, That's interesting. God controls the weather. Whether for correction or for his, hand, for his land, or for love, he causes it to happen. Whether for correction or for love, he causes it to happen. Mm, partly true. Now, you got to remember, God and a devil. Now, sometimes the devil is destructive with things. So, so don't, don't say that everything is happening is God. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of the Lord. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds and the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind, can you like him spread out the skies hard as cast metal mirror? Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall it be told him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he be swallowed up? And now no one looks on the light when it is bright in the skies. Even the wind has passed and, and cleared out. 
Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. But he is merciful. <laughs> because Job had really shot his mouth off a little bit. Now, tomorrow and Sunday, you're going to see God beginning to speak. But one of the things I want you to see as we've gone through all of the words of Job's friends and the words of Job is that God said he was blameless in all his ways. God held Job up as an example of a man who was determined to have a relationship with him. And Satan said, no, I'm going to deal with this man. I'm going to hurt this man until he curses you. And Job never would. Now, Job did shoot his mouth off in the hurt, the bitterness, the grief of the loss of his children, all of his finances, the physical pain in his body, and the pain of constantly listening to those people condemn him. Job did, did say some strong things, and you're going to see how God responds to what Job said in the next few chapters. But I also want you to remember that when people bring religious condemnation against you, it's amazing how beautifully they speak of God and then they throw those one-liners in there that just kick you when you're down. Rather than comfort you, rather than encourage you, they're just always talking about your sin. Now, brothers and sisters, some of you just need to realize that the problems in your life are not because of your sin. The problems in your life are not because you've done something wrong. The problems in your life is there's an ugly devil out there who just comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes you just got to hold on to the fact that, you know what? <laughs> this is just an attack of the devil right now, and I am not going to I'm not going to sit here and join everybody in blaming myself for all the things I have done. Now, at the same time I say that, never lift your voice against God. Now, on Sunday, you need to keep reading your devotions, and you're going to see where Job, God said, now, Job, answer me. And Job says, no more, God. I'm going to put my hand to my mouth. I will say no more. What I've learned is that when my heart hurts, and there's bitterness there, there's hurt there, I just learned to shut up. I just don't lift my voice to God. Instead, I just begin to sing. Maybe with tears coming down my face. But I begin to sing, God is good and his mercy endures forever. I begin to sing of his love forever. I sing songs where I know the words really well, and I know that nothing's going to slip out of me. In my short life, I've got a long ways to go. I have learned whatever is going on around me, whatever people say to me, God is good and his mercy endures forever. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.